This is the Baymont Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today, we set the stage for our journey through the Gospels by looking at the geographical region of the Galilee, where Jesus did most of his ministry. One more discussion before we dive into the text, primarily of Matthew. We'll use different things here and there, but going to be using Matthew as our roadmap. But we have one more discussion to do before we do that in our next podcast. And today's discussion will be driven by a presentation. Quite a bit so. Yeah. I'm not Maps sure. Maps and pictures. Yeah, this one's going to be hard if you're running on a treadmill. Sorry. Not going to have any idea what we're talking about if you can't look at well, it. The treadmill's so. fine. We're running outside, probably a little more difficult. Yeah. True. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It could be used to license all that desk space we put on treadmills these days. Right. And, uh, of course, we'll have um, pictures built into the audio file as well. So if you're using a podcast player that supports MP3 chapters, you'll see pictures and maps that will come up automatically as we talk about them. Uh, Actually, as this episode is released, uh, Apple just came out with iOS 12. So if you're running an iPhone, the official podcast app now supports chapters. It does. Pretty exciting. And the pictures will come up too? Yep. Oh, man. I'm excited. (laughs) Because I refuse to get more apps on my phone. I've been using iTunes the whole time. Now I can appreciate your technological prowess, Brent. Yeah. It, wow. it, the uh, the wildfire spreading, I guess. Wow. Yeah. So let's see here. Um, I'm not going to try to lead you through slide-by-slide slide a presentation today. What Brent's going to do is he's going to create some slides that will just help you. And over the course of our conversation, by flipping through the slides, you should be able to follow what we're talking about, get a good idea and a good grasp of what's going on. He's going to put his own uh, pictures as we do in those chapter markers and those kind of things. So he'll have some pictures that he puts in there, but I'm not trying to guide us step by step through a presentation, if that makes any sense. So I want to stop, start with a map. Um, we should do about a hundred times more geography, by the way, than we, than we do. Um, one thing I learned after studying Israel and Turkey is just how much I was missing because I didn't Westerners we just don't read the Bible for geography. And there is so much to be learned just by understanding our geography. I use geography, but I still I still do a fraction of what Ray did when he taught me, what other people that have been trained by Ray do. I need to get better at it. I so we should do more of what I'm doing today. But here we go today. I want to start with a map. Not usually where I would start with my students. But you're not with me on top of a mountain. So let's start with a map first. And then we're going to show you some pictures from the top of a mountain. So speaking of which, I'm going to show a map. A map in front of you is going to have some cities labeled on it. I'm just going to try to walk you through this map here. But I'm going to start all the way on the uh, west side of the Sea of Galilee, due west. Um, There's a mountain there. And you're going to see photos in a moment. I want to start from that mountain because you're going to see photos. When we get to photos... Uh, all these photos have been taken from a mountain called Mount Arbel. Mount Arbel sits just due west, directly west, uh, on the Sea of Galilee. Like right at the, almost the tip of that crest there um, is where is where we'll find Mount Arbel. Now right at the bottom of Mount Arbel uh, is a place called Magdala. Like literally at the foot of Mount Arbel is a place called Magdala. Mary Magdalene was from Magdala. Mary of Magdala. Um, so that's Magdala. It, it, uh, you almost have to be standing right. It won't even be in your photos because it's out of the photo shot. You almost have to be standing right on the edge looking directly down at the foot of the mountain to see Magdala. Uh, Brent might be able to throw it on your map. And if it's there, you can see it. Now, just over, if you're standing on that mountain looking towards the Sea of Galilee, just over your right hand shoulder uh, to the south would be uh, Tiberius. Um, Tiberius would be the city uh, that was planted um, 
was claimed as a capital, planted and, and put there by uh, Herod Antipas, um, Herod's, uh, one of Herod the Great's sons, who ruled the, um, the central part of Herod the Great's kingdom after he died. He passed it on to his three sons. Philip was in the north. We'll talk about this more later. Uh, Antipas in the uh, central part, and then Archelaus in the south. He only lasted less than two years, so um, he was hardly in there at all. But Antipas had a capital elsewhere, and then at some point uh, actually put his capital right uh, capital right on the edge of the Sea of the Galilee, and that's Tiberius. So Tiberius is a very—well, um, if it was built by one of Herod's sons, what kind of a city would we make it, Brent? Probably pretty Herodian. It is Herodian, literally Herodian by definition. It is built by Herod Antipas. So it is a Herodian city built there to be his capital. One of the interesting stories when you run through the Gospels, uh, we won't really do a podcast on this, but um, sometimes people will talk about the Pharisees coming to Jesus at one point and they say, Jesus, you need to, you need to get out of here because Herod wants to kill you. And, and, Her- and Jesus' response is, you go tell that fox. It's in the Gospel of Luke. You go tell that fox. You know, this is what I think. I'm gonna I'm gonna do my ministry, and three de- and three days later I'm gonna reach my goal. And then it, in in some of the following verses, it says he, he Jesus moved and set up his home base in Capernaum, which you can also see on that map. I haven't gotten there yet, but you can also see Capernaum on that map. And I've heard Bible teacher after Bible teacher say, "Well, Jesus Jesus had to leave the region because he had to he had to run from Herod." If you understand your geography, Jesus didn't leave the region. Jesus went and set up shop literally right underneath his nose <laughs> and said, Herod, I'm here and I'm here to stay. Um, I ain't running from you at all. I'm running towards you because this is what I'm doing with the kingdom of God. Um, so just some geographical context there. So we have Magdala, we have Mount Arbel, we have Tiberius. Um, let's go the other way. Let's go towards the north. We're on the northwest side. We're going to get to a place called the Triangle. We'll show that to you on our on our photos. Uh, but you, if you'll notice there, you have three cities that make a triangle. And really, you could even do five cities. Um, on your map there, you have Gennesaret, you have Capernaum, you have Bethsaida, and you have Chorazin. Uh, and you have, that makes up your triangle there. You can see how it makes a nice triangle. You could also include uh, Magadan, which is really more of a harbor than it is a village or a city, which is why it's really not on your map. But uh, Chorazin, Gennesaret, Capernaum, and Bethsaida. This forms a triangle. And these are cities that, the triangle is where the religious Jews lived. So um, you could kind of say Magdala would fit in that too, but it's not a part of typically what we would refer to as a triangle. So religious Jews live in the triangle, Chorazin, Gennesaret, Capernaum, Bethsaida. That is the world of the Pharisees. Now, you went there, Brent. Uh, you went to Chorazin, Capernaum, Bethsaida. Is it, um, is it full of Greco-Roman art and architecture? Uh, not even a little bit. Not even a little bit. Any pavers on the road? Uh, no. Well, I don't think so. What? I'm trying to think if there are any pavers in any of the cities I've been in. I don't believe there are. Yeah, no. They're... they're, they're, they're purposely not engaging. They're not running. They're not the Essenes. They're not out in Qumran. But they're also not engaging in Hellenism. They are rejecting Hellenism. Now, we already mentioned it, but who are the people, what's the city that is going to be engaging Hellenism, embracing it? Uh, well, Tiberius. Tiberius, right. So there you can, you can see geographically how close these groups are. I mean, I could, I could be standing on Mount Arbel. I could go on a 30-minute walk and be in Tiberias, I could go on a 45-minute walk and I could be in the Triangle. Two widely different worldviews, all within the same world. Jesus does 80% of his ministry on this map. 80% of the recorded ministry we have in the Gospels, Jesus does on this map. 
Every now and then he goes to Nazareth, which is actually just, uh, depending on how we crop this map, just off your map. Um, every now and then he goes to places like Syrophoenicia. Um, uh, he might go to, uh, to, he goes to Syrophoenicia to get away from the crowds. Um, he might go to a place in Cana for a wedding. Like there are these random stories that aren't included um, in, in this direct Sea of Galilee region. Uh, and then obviously his trips to Jerusalem for the festivals. And then that final week, the Passion Week, the end of his life. Um, but 80% of his ministry is done on this map. I, I was astounded to stand on top of Mount Arbel and learn that for the first time. To look out there and say 80% of everything that Jesus did that we have recorded was done with an eye shot. And like we talked about this, we talked about this before I went to Israel with you. But standing there and just standing on the edge of the mountain and, and looking out, like it is truly astounding how close everything is right it's it's hard to appreciate just looking on a map or even hearing it like oh 45 minute walk i think most people probably wouldn't want to walk for 45 minutes right it's so close everything is right there right absolutely yeah so if uh if you got your triangle now let's just keep going around the sea we're going to keep moving uh east and eventually south as we kind of curve around the sea just east of if you were just go just east of betsaida uh, you're going to get to a place called Gamla. Uh, Gamla, uh, we already talked about Gamla. Brent, who do we talk about Gamla with? The Zealots. The Zealots. Okay, so that Zealot compound, that was the second to last stand that the Zealot movement made outside of, where was their last stand? Where was the Zealots' last stand made? Uh, that was at, hang on, it'll come to me. It's fortress in the yeah, Hebrew. Yeah, right. Oh, it's oh, it's the Hebrew word for fortress? It is. Oh. Yep. Uh, Masada. Masada. There we go. David says, the Lord is my Masada. Yep, Masada. I'm going to make that, after I edit that, I'm going to make it seem like I came up with that a lot faster than <laughs> I actually did. <laughs> yeah. So their last stand was uh, put together on Masada. Their second to last stand happened in Gama, right there on the edges of the Sea of Galilee. Let's just keep moving south. Uh, down the east side now, we get to a place called Hippos, or Susita is what I often will call it. One is the Greek name, one is the... Um, uh, Roman name, Hippos and Susita. Uh, Susita was one of the northernmost cities of what was known as the Decapolis. The Decapolis, we've already talked about with Hellenism. Um, uh, Alexander the Great came and planted 10 cities, Decapolis. Those 10 cities, uh, nine of the 10 lie to the east of the Jordan River. And Hippos Susita is one of the northernmost cities of the Decapolis. I'm trying to remember if it is the northernmost city, but it's one of the northernmost cities of the Decapolis. Um, One city lies to the west of the Jordan River uh, in an awkward kind of, if you're mapping it out, it kind of sticks out over the west side. It's a place called Beit Shan or Sethopolis, as they called it in uh, the Greco-Roman world. Sethopolis or Beit Shan. Um, But Hippos is the Decapolis. So that would represent... uh, uh, Hippos and Susita, that would represent who, Brent? Uh, the, well, I guess Herodians still. Well, no, not even Herodians would be caught on this side of the sea. So Decapolis oh. was so, uh, see Herodians, if you remember when we looked at Zapori in the Herodian podcast, were at least trying to live what we, what they would consider as still an obedient life. Even though we've compromised, we've brought Hellenism into our world, we're not embracing the Roman, the unclean Roman paganism. So in the Pharisaical world, you, you're unclean to even say it, to even put the name Decapolis on your lips made you unclean for seven days. Um, that's the same period as a, as, a, as a menstrual uncleanness, like they did that on purpose. That's how dirty and unclean they saw this 
they called it a faraway land, the land of the cast out ones. We'll talk about that more later on some other podcast. Um, but they, they would never be caught, even Herodians. They wouldn't have nearly the stigma that a Pharisee would. But there is no way any kid from the religious triangle would ever be caught dead on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So there's no response no that's going to be shown there. All we've got over there is who? Just the Romans. Just the Romans and the pagans, right? So when I take students here, I love to stand on top of Mount Arbel and I love to point out the different groups. I say Hippos, they say pagans. I say Tiberius, they say Herodians. I say religious triangle, or I say triangle, they say religious Jews. I say Gamla, they say zealots. So you have three of the five responses and the pagans themselves right around the sea. And I love to show you this map, say 80% of the, the 80% of the ministry of Jesus happened on this map because you get to appreciate um, how diverse the world that Jesus ministered to was. All kinds of different worldviews. Now, we're still missing two worldviews. Which ones are they? It's really the worldviews of the Judeans. but uh, Well, the uh, Essenes and the... Um... The Sadducees. Yeah, really the priestly parties. Now, that's not to say you wouldn't have had a Sadducee up in the Galilee region. They lived all throughout the 12 tribes. So you would have a Sadducee that lived in a village. Uh, that wouldn't be all that odd. You'd probably have some Sadducees in Tiberias. Uh, they don't work in Tiberias. It's not where their worldview is centered. And then the Essenes, of course, they also have other places other than Qumran. But Qumran being that picture, uh, we still don't know a whole lot about how they operated, but we know that they had places in like Jerusalem, Um so they could have had some places up here. We're not aware of any, uh, but I the can't SCM remember if really. I can't remember if we talked about this, but the uh, the priesthood was quite expansive, and they didn't actually have to serve in the temple very often, right? Right. Yeah. You so only were... had to work two weeks out of the whole year. There were so many priests that if everybody was going to serve and and meet their calling, the calling that God had ordained them for, the only way you only had two weeks. That there was thousands of priests, and you can only fit so many priests in the workload. And so you had two weeks out of, the, out of the year that you would serve at the temple. All those other weeks, uh, all those other weeks of the year, you're back at home doing your thing. Now, you're not supposed to own land. And you're not supposed to uh, do all of that kind of stuff when you're at home. Uh, and I've never really studied a whole lot about what that priest's life would have been. You're supposed to be a rep- that priestly representative. Can you imagine what it would be like to have a priest in your synagogue to be able to give you the priestly blessing every Shabbat? Or to be able to go and talk to a priest and say, what does the law say about this? Um, what do I need to be to be ceremonially pure? Uh, those kind of things. It would have been, if they were doing their job, right? It would have been very nice to have a priest living in your uh, location. But yeah, absolutely. So that's your geographical location. So now if we flipped over to the photos, you get to see this more real life and more real time. All right, so this uh, one of his first pictures here is just the wide, the wide angle view up from the top of Mount Arbel, and you've got a, you've got probably two thirds of the things we talked about on that map within this photo here, just right down in the bottom right hand corner. You can't see it, but would be Magdala all the way down there, just right off the right. If you were to go out to the edge of the mountain and look straight down, you'd find Magdala. Now, if you were to kind of keep going on the, you kind of see a bunch of green right in front of you before it gets to the brown more dead hills in the back. If you go to kind of the edge of that green there, that's where you're going to start the religious triangle. Uh, right at the kind of the edge of the green, right where the water comes in, I see some white buildings. And uh, that would be um, uh, Gennesaret. Um, if I kind of go right above Gennesaret, I see a bare hill. There's actually two little humps, two bare uh, humps, uh, two hills, kind of twin hills that don't have anything on them. 
that is uh, at the top of that today sits the Church of the Beatitudes. And uh, that is the traditional location, and I believe the right location, for the Sermon on the Mount. Um, on the trip, we call these two hills Aremos Tapos, uh, which just means a certain place. It's really not its name, but uh, the Gospels will talk about Jesus going to a certain place. Uh, the Greek there is Aremos Tapos. And that's one of the only places, uh, it's one of the best candidates. There's a couple, uh, but I think this is definitely the right candidate for uh, feeding of the 5,000, Sermon on the Mount, if you're going to if you're going to feed 5,000 people, it's one of the few places where you could put everybody, talk to them, where they would be gathered if they're coming from all those different regions that were um, being told. It's just it's just one of your best locations. Obviously, if you go beyond that into the hills more out in the wilderness, um, you're going to have all kinds of options, but it doesn't make any sense why they would be there. Um, Jesus is obviously trying to engage the crowds, so he would not be at that point, and he would not be out behind everything. So that your best option, your most probable option is those two hills there. If I go just to the bottom of those hills and go just a little bit to the right, uh, there's Capernaum. Uh, Capernaum, uh, we've uh, we've chatted about already. We'll chat about some more. If you kept going to the right, you would find Bethsaida. And then right in the back there, you have Chorazin. So that is your religious triangle. And maybe Brent can even kind of throw a circle over that kind of whole area and that whole region there and just say triangle. That's where your religious Jews are going to live. Um, now, if I were to turn to my right, uh, which requires a totally different photo, but Brent will show you that photo. If you turn to your right and look over your right-hand shoulder, you're going to see Tiberius just to your south. And so you have that photo there that Brent can show you. Nothing really to highlight other than it's a gigantic modern city. But Hellenism survived. I'll tell you what. Pharisee, uh, Phariseeville over in the religious triangle, not so much. Still a pile of rocks, but... Hellenism lives on for thousands of years. Always seems to do that. But um, Tiberias is still a modern city today. Now, if you look, um, come back to the religious triangle and then look to the right and you see these four, there's like four fingers of a valley kind of just right of center of that photograph. And uh, those four valleys are the location of Gamla. In fact, the farthest two valleys, we have a picture that zooms in on those. And those farthest two valleys uh, are the are the valleys in which, in between those, Gamla sits. And so that's Gamla. Now, if you keep going uh, around, we'll show you a picture that's more directly aimed across the sea. And that would be looking at the region of the northern part of the Decapolis and the ruins of Susita across the sea. So that is Susita all the way. It's just dead across. And that photo, you're looking due east from Mount Arbel, almost exactly due east. Uh, and and then if we zoom in, you can actually see the beach that sits there, um, uh, the beach that sits uh, just at the bottom of Susita. That story is going to be relevant because of the pigs. We actually can say with quite definitive, if we if we take the accuracy of the scriptures at all, um, uh, if we think they're recording any kind of accuracy, we know that that's where the story of the pigs running off the bank. I say that because it's the only spot on the entire circumference of the Sea of Galilee. Water levels have not changed much at all um, in 2,000 years, maybe up and down a handful of feet, um, maybe even as much as 20 or 30 feet, but water levels have not changed drastically at all. There is 100 to 200 yards of shoreline all the way around the Sea of Galilee. And this one spot is the only spot where you have a steep bank running down into the sea. 
um, where you you have steep banks everywhere, but the steep bank runs down onto about 200 yards of shoreline or more, which then goes flatly into the sea. So if you think the pigs ran off of a steep bank or a cliff, some uh, versions say, into the sea, that, that has to be the location. It actually matches the story. We'll talk about it more later. It matches the story on a few different levels. So that is, I, I just really make that a, a confident location for me of where that story happened. And so um, you can see that beach, or, or should I say the lack thereof, of a beach in that zoomed-in photo. And at the top of that hill, um, uh, somewhat to, well, from, that, from where that photo's looking, at, yeah, it's kind of the top of those hills there, um, you're going to see Susita. You, you won't see it, but you would find Susita, um, the ruins of Susita there. So I love to do this just because it gives me a geographical reference point. When you are reading your Gospels and Jesus is in Capernaum and Jesus is in Bethsaida, um, when Jesus is feeding the 5,000 at Aramos Tamos, Atapos, and he tells the disciples to get in a boat and sail to Bethsaida, We'll do that conversation later, but I want you to realize how crazy that is. That say it is just a 20-minute walk, a 30-minute walk down the shoreline. Um, why are they getting in a boat? Uh, when Jesus says, hey, let's get in a boat and go where, Brent? To the Decapolis. Yeah. And he never says Decapolis, right? He just sure. says, let's go to the other side. So we read it and we're like, okay, I went to the other side. of the... No, 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 no. Like, we have to understand our geography there. If they just went to the other side, that's stunning, no Jewish kid that he called out of Bethsaida would have ever gone to the other side. Go to the other side? Jesus, are you crazy? We're not going to the other side. There's no way we're going to the other side. Um, and it's even more layered than that. But just geography is going to help us out a ton. Uh, when Herod um, is, in, is in Tiberias, it gives us geography, helps us out. And the, and the biggest point I wanted to make is just that Jesus is able to interact with a handful of those worldviews that we discussed in our responses to Hellenism. Jesus is able to talk to the Pharisees. Jesus is able to turn around, literally, turn around and talk to a Herodian. Um, Jesus is able to bump into pagans. Uh, Jesus can get in a boat, go to the other side of the lake, and be in the middle of the most pagan area in their mind you could be in. Um, Jesus can meet zealots. Jesus is in an area where he can talk to and take his disciples to all kinds of different worldviews. And a lot of the questions that we have will often be helped out with geography. Sometimes we'll always get confused. Why does Jesus tell this person, go tell everybody what happened? And to all these other people, Jesus says, don't tell anybody. Why does he do that? Well, so much of that is going to be driven by geography. Almost almost, almost completely, um, without exception. The people he tells uh, to tell the story, who do you think that is, Brent? Who does he tell to tell the story? Uh, he wants to tell the story in... What is he? I'm trying to think. So the he tells the guy in the Decapolis not to tell anyone, right? Actually, he's the one that wants to come with him, right? The well, guy he, in the Decapolis. Oh, that guy wants to come with. Yes. And what does he tell him? He says, "No, you need to stay here and and tell everybody and tell everybody." Yeah. Okay. See, whenever whenever Jesus is in the Gentile world, a pagan world, he tells him, "Go tell everybody. They got a million gods. Go give them me as an option." When he's in the Jewish world, Jesus says, "Don't tell anybody." When he's in the religious triangle. His method is don't tell anyone what happened here because nobody is going to know these religious people that think they have it all figured out, not because they're Jewish, but because they're religious and they're trained and they think they understand the word, just like so many of us listening to this podcast. Um, they think they have it all figured out. Don't tell them because they're not ready to deal with what I'm here to bring. They're going to get all wound up about stuff I'm not even here to engage. So don't tell them anything. Geography, geography, geography is going to help us. And as one just final kind of fun little side note, Let's do a fun little exercise here. 
We're going to speak in metaphors, not literally for a moment. We're, we're not going to speak literally. We're going to use this picture and this map as a way to understand our four Gospels. So I'm not suggesting that the four Gospels were written to anything on this map. I'm not saying that Matthew was written. But which group would we say that Matthew is written to on this map? To the triangle. Triangle, right? Jewish story, Jewish triangle. We're going to look at the at the story of the triangle and the way that Jesus engages the triangle. And it is the Gospel of Matthew. Like his critique of the religious Jews is you don't know how to chase prodigals. You don't know how to welcome the outsiders. And your religiosity has made you lose any sense of compassion. And that's going to be your big problem, religious triangle. So Matthew would be a gospel written to the religious triangle. Not literally. I'm not saying that Matthew wrote his gospel to be read in Chorazin. I'm just saying that's the worldview that Matthew wrote his gospel to. How about Mark? Mm, Tiberius? Ooh, close one. Yeah. I'm going to use Tiberius for something else. Okay. But... Where, where would you say? So then Decapolis. Decapolis, right? Mark is writing a gospel to be sent across the sea to the people of Hippos and Susita and the rest of the Decapolis and say, hey, Romans, I got a gospel for you. And it's different than what you're used to. Uh, um, let's see. How about Luke? Luke seems kind of triangle-ish again. Yeah. If he's doing synagogues. Yeah, we could definitely do. Yeah, we could definitely do Luke in the triangle. We could even bump uh, Matthew over where, possibly, if we really wanted to put Matthew somewhere else. Uh, to the uh, zealots. Yeah, we could. We could bump uh, Matthew over to the zealots. And in fact, if we really know our Luke really well, we could easily bump Luke over to the zealots too, because one of Luke's theme is service, love, mercy. Uh, that's one of that's some of Luke's greatest themes there, and so that would also fit in Gamla as well. Um, and then John, who would we say John is written to? What so world John's got to be Tiberius. Tiberius, that's where I'll put it. Is that Tiberius worldview, that Hellenistic worldview of the Greco-Roman world? So, just a just another way to interact with the Gospels, to understand their agendas, to get our head around who is Matthew, who is Mark, who is Luke, who is John. And what about this world of Jesus? And now that we kind of understand that, when we get into Matthew and we're told that Matt, that Jesus is in Capernaum, I know where Jesus is at um, because geography is going to help me out. And when Jesus goes to the other side of the lake and when Jesus is in Syrophoenicia, when Jesus is at Caesarea Philippi, we need to ask questions of geography and we need to understand where we are. So that will help us set the stage. And now, Brent, I think next week we're ready to dive in can't wait gospel of matthew all right well uh definitely if you if you haven't already uh open up that presentation look at all the maps and pictures we have provided for you i think it's going to be very helpful as we uh, proceed into the gospels um if you need to get a hold of marty or me we're on twitter at marty solomon and eibcb uh get a hold of us on the facebook page baymontdiscipleship.com and uh, check out the uh chapter markers in your in your podcast app of choice hopefully it supports them And uh, thanks for joining us on the Baymont Podcast. We'll talk to you again soon. Mm -hmm.